faith. Uh, we use the word faith a lot in Christianity. Sometimes the Bible uses faith to describe the content of the gospel. We possess the faith that's once for all been entrusted to the saints. Uh, more often, the Bible uses faith to describe a, a personal act, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In that sense, faith is the instrument God uses to unite us to Jesus and all his saving benefits. But what is faith? Historically, Orthodox Christianity has argued that faith includes three elements. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge. Faith is not blind, but acts on a knowledge of God and His character and His work in Jesus. Assent is the next element. Not assent as in going up, but assent as in agreeing that, not, that the knowledge you have about God and His work in Christ is true. And then the final element is trust. This, this restful reliance on, on Jesus to save you. Demons have knowledge. They don't trust. They don't rest in the goodness of God. All three elements help us speak carefully about the nature of saving faith. And you'll find these in the older confessions and, and catechisms. But you know, sometimes we just need a good picture, don't we? We need a story. We need to see faith in action to grasp its, its fuller outworking. And today, the story of this Canaanite woman is one of the greatest pictures of faith. Jesus says to her, O woman, great is your faith. In the process, though, we also learn about the object of her faith, Jesus, who he is, why he comes, and what he offers to all who come to him like this woman. So let's begin reading in verse 21, and, and as we do, may your own faith in Jesus become stronger Listen to God's word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. 
and her daughter was healed instantly. I love this passage. I see four parts to this dialogue. Each begins with someone speaking, either the woman or the disciples, and then closes with an answer or non-answer from Jesus. But with each part, something further stands out about this woman's faith, and we also learn more about the Savior in whom she places her faith. The first part comes in verse 21 and stretches to Jesus' non-answer in verse 23. And here we learn that faith comes to Jesus confident that He's merciful to sinners. Faith comes to Jesus confident that He's merciful to sinners. To this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has ministered primarily among Jews. Now He withdraws to Gentile territory, Tyre and Sidon. And it's no accident that this move follows Jesus' teaching on defilement. I don't know the last time you checked, but Tyre and Sidon don't score so well when it comes to purity. Just read places like Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 26 and 27, Zechariah chapter 9, historically. These are cultures of arrogant injustice, trading humans for products, rampant idolatry. Jesus has withdrawn to what was considered unclean territory. And if that wasn't enough to ruffle some Jewish feathers, verse 22 gets even more surprising. It's the only place that Canaanite appears in the New Testament. When Mark tells this same story, he describes the woman as a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. That's Mark 7, verse 26. But Matthew wants us to see more. He wants us to draw some connections here to the Old Testament. Her backstory includes a long family history opposed to God's covenant people. Her people are enemies of Israel. The Philistines lived there, the one that stood up against the son of David. In other words, she's the last person you'd expect searching out a Jew for help. Perhaps that's why Matthew himself seems so surprised. Behold, a Canaanite woman. Her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 22 says, he later finds, uh, we, we later find a boy uh, in chapter 17, also what's called severely oppressed by a demon. And that includes things like convulsions, uh, uncontrollably falling into the fire and into the water, uh, just to kind of help you feel what, what it must have been like for this mother to, to watch her daughter suffer this way. But she comes out, she's looking for Jesus, and then upon finding Jesus, she repeatedly cries to him. Uh, she wants her girl healed, but it's also agonizing for her, right? Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Now, we know Matthew's goal is to reveal Jesus as the son of David. He starts his gospel with this book, right, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Uh, But 
the characters within the book, as you're reading along, you know, they're not always so confident. Right? Take the Jews of chapter 12, verse 23. Can, can this be the son of David? Right? And then the Pharisees are quick to like squelch that idea. No. Of all the people that should have seen Jesus as son of David, it was the Jews. For centuries, God revealed his purpose to them. But to this point, they totally missed Jesus. And instead, this Canaanite gets it. She calls him Lord. Son of David, which are both loaded terms. Lord appears regularly in settings where Jesus does only what Yahweh can do in the Old Testament. Son of David was a title reserved for God's anointed king, the one whose kingdom would make all things right. Jesus will will later bring both of these titles together in chapter 22. When he says, if David calls him Lord, how is he also David's son? In other words, this Gentile woman is seeking help from the Jewish Messiah. She knows something about him. Mark's gospel tells us how how earlier in Jesus' ministry, some folks from Tyre and Sidon had actually seen him casting out demons in Galilee. So perhaps word makes it back to this this woman. She she puts the pieces together and she knows that God's mercy to sinners flows through Jesus. But then Jesus does the unexpected. Verse 23 says, He did not answer her a word. Now some have said this is is cold-hearted of Jesus. But one only has to read the rest of the New Testament to know that's not true. Jesus is compassionate, gentle, lowly in heart. Better is that Jesus must be testing this woman's faith. And I think that's part of the story. But we mustn't forget the disciples here. They're part of this picture too. And given the disciples' response in verse 23... I think Jesus stays silent for their sake. He wants the disciples and us to see this woman's faith and learn something more about Jesus. Jesus doesn't respond like we always think he should. Sometimes he says nothing. But it's not because he's cold. It's not because he lacks compassion. Surely the love he displayed on the cross has taught us to draw better conclusions than that. Yes, even in the silence, Jesus is working to give us a better understanding of our need. He's working to draw others in for a deeper understanding of who He is and why He came. Which leads to the next part. In verse 23 and 24, we see that that faith embraces the priorities in Jesus' mission. Faith embraces the priorities in Jesus' mission. Again, this woman is, is following Jesus. She's, she's pleading that, that He heal her daughter. And Jesus' deliberate silence lets this persist for a little while. To the point it drives the disciples to say something, right? Verse 23, send her away, for she's crying after her. Now you could read this as the disciples wanting Jesus to heal her, and some people do. 
right? It's, it's unlike him to, to stay silent like this. To this point, he's healed nearly everybody who's asked. And so the words, send her away, might include an element of, of would you heal this woman already? Also, Mark's gospel tells us Jesus was trying to lay low anyway and not cause a big scene. In this case, Jesus' answer in verse 24 explains why he hasn't healed her yet. But it's also possible they've misunderstood Jesus' silence in a far different way, a more negative way towards this woman. It wasn't the norm for a Jewish rabbi to even acknowledge a Gentile, especially an unclean Gentile like a Canaanite. And so they tell Jesus, send her away. Let's avoid this awkward situation altogether. And given the disciples' track record, that might be the better way to take it here. And that's the way I take it. What then does Jesus mean in verse 24 when he answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman hasn't left the scene. I imagine Jesus says this within earshot of the woman. But his answer here is for the disciples. He wants the disciples to reflect on the nature of his mission. And I think in a couple different ways. One, he was sent to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost. He wasn't sent for the righteous. But for sinners, unclean people in Israel who aren't so different from this woman. Two, he's highlighting the historical priority of his mission to Israel. He's kind of bringing it up, but I think he's doing it to eventually show the disciples in the miracle later how that historical priority does not mean exclusive priority. We've heard similar words before, haven't we? Chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus commissions the, the, the twelve and he says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Historical priority. But you keep reading Jesus' words and you will find how the disciples' mission wouldn't always be limited to Israel. Eventually their testimony, he says, would become before governors and kings to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Chapter 10, verse 18. So he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's getting that up there. And here's this Canaanite woman in desperate need of Jesus' mercy. And he's just letting these things hang. If the disciples set the priorities of Jesus' mission, we know what they'd do. Send her away. But is that what Jesus meant by His 
being sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Does he mean for that mission to exclude Gentiles begging for his mercy? He's getting his disciples to think for a minute about the priorities of his mission. At this point in Jesus' earthly mission, the Jews receive historical priority. That was the plan all along. God's work, God works His saving plan first through His promises to Israel. Romans 9. To Israel, right? Belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the ordinances, right? The, the promises. And even the Christ, who is blessed forever. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Ah, to the Jew first. And also the Greek. We observe the same priority in Acts when Paul offers the gospel first to the Jews. Isaiah 49 anticipated the, that pattern. The servant would come first to lead Israel back to God. But that historical priority did not mean exclusive priority, and Jesus is about to prove it. He's going to prove it first by showing how this Canaanite woman grasps the mercy of his mission better than his own disciples. Which brings us to the third part of this dialogue. In verses 25 and 26, faith knows it deserves nothing but gains everything in Jesus. It knows it deserves nothing but gains everything in Jesus. The woman has heard Jesus answer the disciples. She's heard Him raise the historical priority of His mission to Israel. And while, while that's still hanging in the air of whether that's all His mission is, she comes and begs for mercy again. Lord, help me. How many of you have been in situations where that's all you know how to pray? How many of you have been so desperate in the silence that this is all you know to cry? It's a good prayer, one filled with faith. And yet again, Jesus answers in the most surprising way. The point He made to the disciples, He now makes the same to her, but in the form of a parable. Now He's talking to her within earshot of the disciples. He's saying, watch this. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The children seem to represent Israel, and especially the disciples here. The bread represents the blessings of Jesus' kingdom, and the dogs represent the Canaanite woman. But before we read too much into it, let me clarify one aspect that's not immediately apparent, at least in English. Jesus has used dogs before. Like in chapter 7, verse 6, when He tells the disciples, do not give to dogs what is holy. And dogs in that content, context represent people who are viciously opposed to the gospel of Jesus. Paul uses the same word to describe false teachers in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Watch out, he says, for the dogs. And in both contexts, the dog is more comparable to you know, a jackal, a hyena, a, a, a nasty scavenger outside the city. 
outside the house, right? That's not the dog Jesus has in mind with the woman. He switches to a diminutive form which amounts to a house dog. You can, you can discern this just by looking at the woman's response. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she understands that Jesus means house dog, one that's under the table just waiting for the crumbs to fall. So it's, it's still a hard pill to swallow, but it's not as offensive as it could have been. She's inside the house. But Jesus is taking the point he made with the disciples and now seeing what the woman is going to do with it. His parable reiterates that there is a historical order to God's saving work and the Gentiles are not first in line. Some of you might find that offensive. And to some sensibilities, perhaps it's meant to be offensive. We live in a culture of entitlement where everybody gets a trophy. But it might be good to observe how this woman is not offended by Jesus. She embraces Jesus' parable. She agrees with him. She says, yes, Lord. In terms of historical priority, she accepts her place in line behind the children of Israel. The ESV has yet even the dogs, but the better translations have four even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so she goes there. She goes there with Jesus and then draws further comfort from it. She knows she doesn't deserve anything from God's covenant promises, but she also knows the blessings of the kingdom are so bountiful, there's plenty to satisfy her need as well. Even the smallest of crumbs from Jesus' table are enough for her. That's how great her vision of Jesus is. The blessings that He gives the disciples are more than enough to meet the needs of Gentiles too. She doesn't need to be first in line. Even if she catches some of the crumbs under the table, she's content with that. Because she knows that even a crumb of Jesus' kingdom will meet her where she's at. She knows that historical priority doesn't mean exclusive priority. Her faith sees that Jesus' mercy, while it goes to Israel first, it extends to Gentiles too. And this is the faith that Jesus commends. And that leads to our last part. Faith is rewarded with the blessings of Jesus' kingdom. Faith is rewarded with the blessings of Jesus' kingdom. In verse 28, Jesus answers her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Remember that healings in Jesus' ministry were, were all about the kingdom's presence. Right? Jesus... Jesus' kingdom was, was bringing a divine reversal of the curse. So all that was broken would be made right through Him. He gives the presence of His kingdom to this woman and her daughter. 
I also love how Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus finds hardly any faith at all in Israel. And the only faith he does find, like with the disciples, is little faith. He's always saying, O you of little faith. But here, he commends this Gentile, a Canaanite, for her great faith. In the place we'd least expect it, there comes great faith. God's grace is always surprising, isn't it? And so in the end, what does Jesus teach his disciples in this? He certainly proves that they're more lost than they think. Send her away? Really? They really are lost sheep in need of a shepherd. They need Jesus to send, they need Jesus to save them and open their eyes. The woman's faith was tested too, but not in vain. She passes with flying colors. And in the process, we learn that, that while Jesus' earthly mission prioritizes Israel, there's mercy for these unclean Gentiles as well. Jesus' mission of mercy reaches even the worst of enemies. Of all people, a Canaanite here. But Jesus doesn't send her away. He sends the demon away. And he brings rest to this weary mother's soul. I started this message describing the elements of saving faith. But God has preserved for us in this word a great picture of saving faith. And from that picture, I want us to consider a few ways that it should impact us. First, come to Jesus for mercy, no matter your history or your need. Come to Jesus for mercy, no matter your history or your need. This, this woman belonged to a culture known for its idolatry and human trafficking. Canaan hated God's covenant people, and yet Jesus doesn't hesitate to show her mercy. He did it in his own timing and maybe an unexpected way to us. But he proved that his mercy extends to anyone who comes to him like this woman. It becomes a really important contrast to the Pharisees of the previous passage, the one we covered last week. Right? They try to keep themselves pure by ritual And they remain cut off from Jesus' kingdom. This woman casts herself desperately on the mercy of Jesus and He brings her into the kingdom. Some of you have shared with me some dark things from your own past. Others of you I don't know very well. But I can imagine we're all plagued with regrets of past choices. We have a history too. And it's often filled with unpleasant things. Maybe we hung with the wrong crowd far too long. Maybe we've, we've hated where we should have loved. Our priorities are all out of whack and they're not aligned with, with God's kingdom. Perhaps some of us have been so bothered by the needs of others, we, like these disciples here, just say, Lord, send them away. 
Listen, Jesus came for those kind of people. Jesus came for sinners of all kinds. No matter your background or history, you too can can come to Him like this woman. God's grace is not handcuffed by your sinful past. Even the crumbs of Jesus' kingdom will be enough for you. This woman also has a daughter who's oppressed by a demon. As a mother, she carries a great burden as the girl's caretaker. Some of you right now are facing great burdens as you care for loved ones. The weight that rests on your shoulders is great. The agony you feel because you just want them to be well again is sometimes overwhelming. And all you have left is, Lord, help me. You too come to Jesus for mercy. God intends our afflictions to drive us nearer to Him. And Hebrews tells us that through Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus opened the way for us to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and help in our time of need. So don't hesitate to cry out to Him and ask Him for His help. Something else we should consider. Stay humble when Jesus puts you in your place. Stay humble when Jesus puts you in your place. Jesus teaches His disciples a lesson about His mission. And He has certainly put them in their place. But He also tests this woman's faith. At first, she gets no answer. And then twice, she hears something about Israel's historical priority. And the last one compares her to a house dog getting leftovers. But never once does she say, that isn't fair. You can't talk to me like that. I deserve to be first in line like them. No, she agrees with Jesus. She goes there with him. Charles Spurgeon once said of this passage, If the Lord reminds you of your unworthiness and your unfitness, He only tells you what's true. And it will be your wisdom to say like this woman, Yes, Lord. Great faith is always a sister to great humility. It does not matter how low Christ puts her. She sits there. But that's not the attitude we often find in our culture or even in some of our Christian subcultures. God's Word teaches that salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And people say that's not fair. God's Word teaches that that He elects some to salvation and passes over others. And people say that's not fair. God's Word teaches that the office of pastor is limited to qualified men and people say that's not fair. The thief on the cross will get eternal life just as much as those who've who've served Jesus since they were six. 
People say that's not fair. God chose Israel first from all the other nations to accomplish a saving plan, and people say that's not fair. But the attitude of this woman is one of humble acceptance of her place before her Lord. Before her Lord. She says, yes, Lord. Talking about Israel's historical priority, I was reminded how Paul kind of puts Gentile Christians in their place in Romans 11. He's going on, he's explaining how Israel had experienced a partial hardening so that the Gentiles might be grafted in. And then he says this, he says, but if some of the branches, speaking about Israelites, if some of the branches were broken off and you... Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Gentile, you're not the good tree. And that's just about everybody in this room. You're the wild tree. Do we say, well, how dare you talk to me that way? No. We don't say that's not fair. We say, yeah, and whatever sap I can get from that tree, I'm good. <laughs> I don't deserve anything. I was once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. I was once far off, but I've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we say. And that's how faith talks. Jesus' word puts you in your place. You say, yes, Lord. I just want some crumbs. (laughs) Also, embrace the priorities in Jesus' mission. Embrace the priorities in Jesus' mission. Jesus has proven to His disciples that His mission will stretch beyond the house of Israel. In the Old Testament, it is embedded in God's covenant with Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth we'll be blessed. Here and there, you know, we get Gentiles entering God's covenant people in the Old Testament. You know, you got Rahab, right? And the Gibeonites. And you got Ruth, the Moabite. The prophets anticipate an even greater day than those little glimpses. Right? Israel would have to to spread out the tent, her tent pegs. Get the tent pegs out. Spread it out because there ain't going to be enough room under this tent anymore when all the nations come in. The root of Jesse will come and in him will the Gentiles hope. The Psalms anticipate all the peoples praising the Lord and extolling Him. And during Jesus' earthly ministry, that Gentile mission is is still like a, a little trickle and this woman is part of it. But after Jesus dies for our sins, 
and rises from the dead, that, that little trickle that you see throughout the Bible, it becomes a massive river. And it's just raging, bringing life to all nations. Jesus says at the end of Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's not just son of David. He's son of Abraham. In him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The plan was for Jesus to come first for Israel and then after He fulfills the promises given to the patriarchs, blessings would flow to the Gentiles so that they glorify God for His mercy. So is that your priority? Do you see that He's pouring out mercy to Gentiles right now? How'd you get here? How'd you come in? Because mercy was poured out upon you. Are you on board with this mission? Are you, are you on board with, with that mission when, when He brings someone to you that in your flesh, I just, just want them to go away right now. How are you arranging your life so that it fits His mission? How are you arranging things to participate in that flow of mercy to all peoples no matter their background, or no matter their needs. Pray that God would use you to help others know the mercy found in Jesus. Pray that God would give us courage to speak to someone about the saving mercies of His cross. Pray that the peoples of Fort Worth would extol the Lord and then ask God to use you to help others see the compassion of our Savior. Perhaps... He's already preparing some of you to speak of His mercies to others. You know, this woman didn't know it, but as her faith is being tested, Jesus was at work to open the eyes of the others, and the others around her to His saving work. Her story is still being told to help others understand the mercy of Christ. So perhaps your faith is being tested right now. Perhaps you are in a hard spot. Perhaps you are not getting the answers from Jesus immediately that you want. You feel like He's being silent. And perhaps the answers that you do receive are hard to hear. Hard to receive. But as your faith is being tested, know that Jesus is at work right now to reveal Himself to others around you. So stay true to Jesus like this woman. Keep coming to Jesus for mercy and Jesus will use your story as well to show others a few things about Jesus' mission. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this picture of faith. This woman's faith, it's so great, and it's often not found in me. Sometimes I'm even helped by 
looking at the women that you've placed in my life in this church. Often you've given them great faith. And it helps to keep me humble and open my eyes to the mission of Jesus. Not only for the women, but the brothers in our midst. You have given some of them great faith. Thank you for their example. I pray for all of us, though, that, that such faith that was found in this woman would be found in us as we look to our Lord, the Son of David. Help us see your mercy more clearly. Help us sit beneath your word when it teaches us. And be pleased to use our stories to bring many others to faith in Christ. Amen.